You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So the, the backdrop uh, for this passage, for this miracle this morning is the Sabbath. So I want to start by kind of talking about Sabbath. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is a Hebrew word that means stop. That word Shabbat, uh, we, we pronounce that in English as Sabbath. Uh, you might recall in the beginning of the Bible, in the, in the book of Genesis, God created all things. He creates light and darkness and oceans and land and animals and plants and humans. And that all takes six days. And then on the seventh day, God stops, which is why it's called the stop. God stops and he rests and we're told he enjoys his creation. He looks upon it and says, this is good, right? And so Sabbath is just that practice of taking one day out of seven and setting that day aside for rest and worship and delighting in God's creation. Sabbath is the only spiritual discipline uh, that is chiseled into a tablet at, when God gives the law to the people of Israel. So Sabbath is not only a good idea, it's a mandate for the people of God. It's a law. And... Um, uh, you actually don't have to go very far in your study to understand the benefit of a weekly stop, of a weekly Sabbath, right? A day where the phone goes away and emails are left unchecked and you enjoy people and food and rest and sleep and worship and nature and play and books. Like a day where you delight in the Lord's creation. And in fact, if you look outside of the Bible to the secular world, um, it, it's kind of funny. The world is kind of always rediscovering biblical truths as good for it. Um, and, and beneficial for society. And right now, Sabbath is a rhythm that's having a resurgence in our society. It's, it's being seen as something that's good in our society for Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, the New York Times in November of last year ran an article called Shabbat or Sabbath. Shabbat is a salve and a scene. Quite the clever title. The article points out this scene of young people in New York that are gathering together on Friday nights, sharing a meal, and then resting all day Saturday together, which is Sabbath. <laughs> um, and they're intentionally doing this, and most of them aren't Jewish or Christian. Um, for anything to resurge in our society, for there to be a resurgence of any practice, it typically is given that to resurge from something, there's been neglect of something for a while, right? And so our world has neglected the Sabbath rhythm for a long, long time. Certainly, our Western American society has neglected the Sabbath rhythm. We've forgotten what it means to rest, I think. And when we neglect to rest, we are in a sense saying that we know better than God. And if we know better than God, we are in a sense saying we are better than God. And what I mean by that is that the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God who created all things rested on the seventh day. And so if we reject to follow Jesus, follow God in this rest, our lives communicate that we know better than God, or we have more energy than God, or we have more important work to do than God, and none of that is true. But when this miracle occurred, the Sabbath issue was, was very different than our Sabbath issue of neglect. Sabbath at this time was integral to Jewish society's functioning. 
Everything was closed on the Sabbath. No one worked, and there had been thousands of years of not only observance of the Sabbath, but also additions to the Sabbaths, additions that mandated from religious leaders what you could and could not do on the Sabbath, and they had piled up over thousands of years all of these extra rules on top of the Sabbath that meant you were so strict, everything was so tight and rigid around the Sabbath that it was kind of a day of anxiety, Right? It was this day of, am I, am I going to break the Sabbath? Am I going to break the Sabbath? Am I going to break the Sabbath? And it became a crushing mandate to follow. So much legalism had been added to the Sabbath ritual that the heart of rest and worship and delight in God's creation had been buried below the rules and the legal requirements. So the, these are two equally bad approaches to Sabbath, right? One, one side that our, our society struggles with, many of us struggle with, is neglect, just not Sabbathing, not taking a break from rest, not enjoying creation, not worshiping, not resting. And second, this other, which this is the backdrop for this miracle, is adding so much rigidness to the Sabbath that it fails to be rest anymore and becomes so legalistic that in trying to practice it, you just are anxious and worried that you're going to break the rules. And with that in mind, With the definition of Sabbath in mind, that Sabbath is this day of stop, this day of rest, this day of worship, right? Delighting in God's creation as we rest and worship together. Let's let's reread the text with that context, because I do think Sabbath, it's very important that this miracle happens on the Sabbath, but this miracle is not just to show us what we can and can't do on the Sabbath, but it's important that we know this happens on the Sabbath. So, this is what it says in verse 10. Um... Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself, and Jesus sees her, and he calls over to her and says, Woman, you are freed from your disability, and he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on of rest, the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you teach that on the Sabbath you can untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. A few things of note. First, obviously, this is on the Sabbath, the day of rest. Jesus is teaching, as he typically does, in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Synagogue was that holy place where people would gather and teach the law. They would teach the Torah. They would teach about the Old Testament. And so everyone is here because they're not working, and everyone is here to learn, and they are aware of the Sabbath law, so nobody is breaking the Sabbath law, especially the people in the synagogue, like around all the religious guys, right? Like you wouldn't go to the religious place and break the Sabbath. You would definitely get called out. And this woman, we are told, who is disabled with a bent back for 18 years is there, and she catches Jesus' eye, and he instantly has compassion on her, and he touches her and frees her from this disability. And we're told um, that there's a spirit causing this disability, that she has a, a disabling spirit. And later, Jesus will say this, this spirit is Satan. Um, immediately, she's freed, and it doesn't say she worships Jesus. We are told she praises God. 
Remember, at this moment in the narrative of Luke, it's not clear that Jesus is God. Like, we know that, and maybe some of the disciples are starting to suspect that, but the people at this synagogue certainly don't know that Jesus is God. So she does not turn to the man who has healed her and worship him. She immediately straightens and praises God. She praises Yahweh, that, that God would have healed her through this man, and she's right to do so. But then... So that all unfolds, and then the scene immediately changes when this ruler of the synagogue, kind of like the head priest of the synagogue, he stands up and he's mad. He's likely mad because not only did he perceive that Jesus had broken this Sabbath law, but he's also mad because he's been showed up in his own building, right? He's the head priest, and nobody can heal without his permission in a synagogue. It would be very um, uncommon for there to be healings going on without the, the, the blessing of the, the head priest or the ruler. And he doesn't address Jesus. He addresses the whole crowd, and he uses the law to condemn what Jesus has just done. He says there are six days for work, and healing is work, so come on any of the six days for a healing, but don't break the Sabbath. So in one accusation, he both accuses publicly Jesus and the woman for breaking the religious law. Jesus for healing and the woman for coming to be healed. Jesus responds by displaying that he is not only the Lord of the Sabbath, but also he's the Lord of the Torah. He's the true interpreter of the law of God. And so he teaches about the order of things. And he, uh, and let's be clear, like Jesus upholds the Sabbath perfectly. He has not broken the Sabbath law. There's never a week in Jesus' life where he doesn't perfectly observe the Sabbath And what he teaches us here specifically is that not only did he not break the Sabbath, he has come to bring the Sabbath to his people, not break it. In healing the woman, Jesus does not break the Sabbath. He delivers the Sabbath, right? He comes to give her rest, not take it away from anybody present. And because he gives her rest and he's accused of breaking the Sabbath, of not resting, he says, that's hypocritical, It's hypocritical that you would teach and you would do this to your animals, right? You would lead your animals out to water. You would lead your animals to rest on the Sabbath day. You would work so that your animals can rest on the Sabbath day, but you would not do the same thing for a child of Abraham, a woman who has been not only tormented physically, but but spiritually tormented for 18 years. He says, you've elevated animals and creation over those who bear the image of God and are counted among God's people. So Jesus is mad, and he's right to be mad. It's righteous anger, and he calls out the hypocrite that is the ruler. He says, um, this daughter of Abraham, meaning one of God's people, she's not rested for 18 years, and today, on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, she will experience rest. She has not broken the Sabbath. I have not broken the Sabbath. The Sabbath has arrived, is what Jesus is saying. So on one level, uh, Jesus heals a woman with a physical disorder and teaches us about the Sabbath, what can and can't be done on the Sabbath, which is amazing and useful. But on this deeper level, and we get hints at this in the text, that something cosmic has happened, right? A force of evil, death, and bondage has been cast out, right? For 18 years, we are told Satan has burdened this woman, and her burden from Satan was so great that her back had bent and her eyes were ever pointed at the ground, And so the purpose that Jesus has come to fulfill becomes clearer through this miracle. 
Jesus has come for those who are burdened by Satan and burdened by sin. His kingdom is about freeing people from the burdens that they carry and that cripple them. He has come to heal. The two events in the passage, uh, the woman being healed and then the ruler calling Jesus out, those actually mirror each other. Right? In verse 11, this bent woman gets Jesus' attention. In verse 14, the synagogue ruler gets Jesus' attention. In verse 12, Jesus reacts to the woman and he heals her. In verse 15, Jesus reacts to the ruler and he responds, condemning him. In verse 13, there are two results to Jesus' response. The woman is made straight and she praises God. In verse 17, there are two results to Jesus' response. The ruler is put to shame and the people rejoice. The people praise It's almost as if we're meant to see that this burden has transferred from the woman who stands up straight to the ruler who is now ashamed. He starts to get crushed by the weight of his shame. The woman wants to worship God. She wants to stand up straight and praise Yahweh, and she gets that opportunity. The ruler wants to enforce made-up rules so that he would be glorified. But in the end, the woman stands up straight praising God, and the the ruler is bending under the weight of shame in the moment, and the people rejoice with the woman at Jesus' words and healing because they are freeing. And this is the moment that the day turns into the true Sabbath, a day of rest, a day of worship, a day of delighting in creation. The people rejoice because they feel the burden lifted too. Oh, we are free on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for us. Right, the, the response is praise. In the healing of the woman, the metaphor is this, or if you're looking for our place in this story, we are the woman. We are the woman. We are crushed with the bent back of, we, we are crushed by the fallen world, crushed by Satan's schemes, crushed by the weight of sin, crushed by the curse of death, and Jesus come comes and touches us by his spirit to give us rest, to give us true rest. What better day to give us rest than the day of rest itself, the Sabbath? And the response of people whose burden is lifted is they stand up straight and they praise God. In the very next section, Jesus teaches, it says, therefore, he taught this, that the kingdom is like a mustard seed which grows into a large tree. And the reason he teaches that next is because small acts like healing this woman and small people like her and you and me, these small acts and small people will be used to bring about, to bring about the kingdom, which is like a great tree that grows. For the woman... She is touched by Jesus. Satan is cast away. Her burden is lifted, and she stands up straight, praising God. So what about for us? Well, my question is, do you feel the weight of shame? Do you feel the weight of sin? Do you still struggle as a Christian with the same old sins, the same old anger or cynicism or bitterness or addiction or crippling anxiety or worry? Do you feel how those things lay on you heavy? Well, in Jesus, a transfer has taken place. Jesus has come to heal his people. And I think about this. On the night that he was betrayed, he is captured. He is mocked. He is tried, unjustly found guilty, and sentenced to death. He is tortured. His back is whipped bloody. The cross is heavy on his shoulder. Another is appointed to carry it. The crown of thorns is pressed into his brow. 
He's nailed to a cross, and as he hangs, his hands and feet nailed, the weight of his body draws him towards the earth. And this is speculation, but, but this is in Jerusalem where this miracle happens, and so it, it might not be out of the realm of possibility that the woman who he healed would be standing tall in the crowd the day the crucified king hangs. And she might be thinking about the God that she praised that morning when she was healed, and she would see uh, this man who healed her taking on the sin of the world and her sin with it. His back would be bending, right? He'd be writhing on the cross as his limbs failed to support the weight of his torso and certainly fall out of joint under the weight of the sin of the world. And it's, I would think in that moment that it might occur to her that, oh, now I'm really healed, now I'm truly healed, not just physically, not just from Satan, not just from those things, but from the curse of death itself. She was healed because she believed in God. And, and maybe you're in the room and you're not a Christian, but maybe you relate to the shame that I'm talking about. Maybe you relate to that guilt that, that plagues all of humanity. But when, but when God touches you, he heals you. Your sin is no more and you can stand up tall and worship and rest or maybe you're in the room and you would call yourself a Christian, but, but shame and guilt have been palpable just in this season particularly, and you're, you feel your back kind of bending under the weight. Or maybe you've, uh, you're just apathetic in this season towards all of this lately, and you don't really care, and you can't get yourself excited about the gospel story, and maybe that weight is starting to mount on your back. Or, or maybe you've just experienced suffering over and over again, and you're sick of it, and you're just not sure what all of that suffering is for anymore, and that that weight is mounting on your back. Well, well, Jesus is here to say, look, it's Sabbath. It's the day of rest. It's time to delight. It's time to rest. It's time to worship. It's time to follow me. It's time to stand up. There are, there are cosmic realities at play. Satan and his failing and falling kingdom want us to feel a weight that's already been taken by Jesus. So for the believers in the room, it's very much his his devices against you to make you feel the weight of your sin that Jesus already took. Jesus is here to say, stand up straight. He took your sin. He took your shame. He took death upon himself. And guess what? He stood up straight in a resurrected body on the third day and walked out of the tomb. Death could not hold him down. He's risen in victory, as the song says, and it's time to follow him. I want to invite you this morning to stand up straight again. And what I mean by that is for those in Christ, there is no shame. There is no condemnation. So we have entered Shabbat, the stop. The stop of your shame, the stop of your, the, the, the demonic or satanic thoughts that keep entering your mind that tell you you're not good enough, that you will never be freed from your sin, that your guilt is too great. It's time to stand up from that. And say, stop. I follow the Lord of rest. The Lord of rest. And what this means is when we do fail, we are free to confess and we're free to receive forgiveness again and again and again. We're free to enjoy the Sabbath, to enjoy a day of rest with worship and delight in creation. It's a good practice to live into that one day a week. It's also a good practice to just live into that forever. We have entered 
the full final rest of Jesus, which affects all days, not just one. Which means we're free to offer healing, which means we're free to offer Jesus. We offer the healer. There's never a day to take a break from offering the healing of Jesus, and it's never work. We live in a world that stands in between the resurrection of Jesus and, and his final return. And living in that world means even for those who follow Jesus, sometimes your back is going to bend under the weight of sin and death and sorrow, whether that's caused from something you did or outside of yourself in the world or in that spiritual realm. And it's in those moments that Jesus invites you to be healed to stand up straight, to enter his rest, to feast on his body and blood. It's in those moments that we need rhythms like Sabbath and the Lord's Supper, and we need mornings of worship like this with our brothers and sisters. It's in those little rhythms that this major cosmic battle is fought against. It's like we, we fight against Satan when we rest, We fight against Satan when we worship together and share a meal together. Isn't that amazing? You've probably heard Satan doesn't take any days off or like the devil doesn't take any days off. Our God takes one day off and he still defeats Satan. So Satan has a full seven days of work against us and God says, I only need six and I'll rest. And in fact, in my rest, what Jesus proves to us on this healing on the Sabbath is when Jesus is bringing rest to the people, he's fighting and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. Here's what I know. The secular world can practice Sabbath all they want. And I think it would be good for our society. It would be good for them in a lot of ways. But in the end, they will not find rest. You can't find rest by practicing the Sabbath really, really, really well. You can only find rest in the person who is rest, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus. And when Jesus heals the woman, to everyone present and to us, he says, there's only one way to Sabbath. It's through me. It's through being healed by me. And that is good news because his hand is extended to you right now, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time. Let him touch you by his spirit and stand up straight and worship and enter the rest of the one who is the true Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, wherever, whoever, whatever way we came in this morning, whether it's guilty or ashamed or thinking of past sin or really palpable sin or whatever bends our back towards the ground, um, I pray that we would in coming to eat your body and drink your blood, in hearing this word spoken, in praying right now, in in singing the songs together, that we would remember that you have already died for those sins, that those sins are taken, that those sins are gone, that there is no more guilt or shame or condemnation for those in Christ, which is exemplified by standing up straight and worshiping you, not bending down low and having our eyes cast down on the floor under the weight of our own chain and sin. Lord, you have taken it. And so for my brothers and sisters in the room who know you and love you, would you whisper that it is finished to them right now? It is finished. Stop. Sabbath, rest. Don't let yourself condemn yourself. Don't let Satan condemn you. 
He has that rest that we enter through the Lord of rest this morning in a palpable, deeper way. And would it lead us to having a day of delight? Delight in your creation, delight in good food, delight in great people, delight in worship and prayer and rest and naps. We delight because you delight in us. What a, what a transfer, Lord, that if I, I came in feeling guilty or ashamed, that I could leave feeling like, man, the, the God of the universe delights in me. I pray that that is true for many of us this morning. And if we came in with our heads high, knowing that our sin was nailed to the cross, knowing that you delight in us, Lord, would we walk out with our heads even higher saying, I want to heal this Sabbath day. I want to I want to extend Jesus to people. And it's not work. It's a great gift. Would that be our posture <laughs> going out this morning, Lord? As we come to the table, we remember these truths and realities. And will we worship you? We pray this in your name. Amen.